0: Once again, let me um, welcome you to Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, whether you're here in person or via live stream, uh, especially if you're visiting with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name is Ben Griffith, would love to get to know you, and um, it's a treat to have you with us this morning on the fourth Sunday of Advent. Our sermon passage you can see is printed there in your order of worship in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. A few weeks ago, Google unveiled their newly updated and redesigned um, smartphone. I guess this is their answer to uh, the iPhone in 2020. This is, this is Google's top-of-the-line phone, you know, new, redesigned, improved camera, battery life, software, all of that. Well, anyway, the, the phone hadn't been on the market for maybe two or three hours before the tech blogs started to blow up. Uh, with people saying that there was some kind of design flaw uh, in the way that this phone was made, the Pixel 5. Um, some of you might have it. I don't know. I'm not trying to start, you know, the iPhone or not iPhone battle here. But um, people started to recognize that there was some kind of gap between the screen and the phone's body. That it's not, you know, it's not apparent unless you're looking for it. But once you look for it, you can't unsee it. And people started to say, this has got to be a design flaw. Something has gone wrong, whether it was in design or in production, this gap is not supposed to be here. You don't intentionally design a gap like this in your new top of the line redesign phone like this. Well, a short time later, maybe later that day, Google came out and said, no, what you're noticing, this gap, that you think is a design flaw, it's actually the design itself. It's supposed to be there. It's, part, it's not a design flaw. It is the design. Now, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they're right. Maybe they're just covering for themselves, not getting into that. But here's the point. Our passage this morning in James is about a gap. It's about life in a gap, and it's a gap that we often experience as a design flaw. It's a gap that, we, that when we experience it, we say something has to have gone wrong. God would not design it like this on purpose. The wheels have fallen off, something has gone wrong. Certainly this is not the design. But, but God says in his word, no, it's not a design flaw, it is the design. It's a gap that you know very well because you're living in it right now and you've lived in it your whole life. This gap is the permanent address of the Christian on this side of heaven. It's the gap between promise and fulfillment. It's the gap between the way that things are supposed to be and the way that things actually are. This gap is the gap between what we hope for and long for and what we actually experience. It's the gap between all things made new and all things are still very much the way that they have always been. It's the gap between all sad things coming untrue and all sad things are still very much true. It's the gap between a glorious future and a painful present. It's the gap between what's coming and where we are right now. You know that gap because we're living in it right now. This gap is our permanent address on this side of heaven. It's not, it's not like some kind of season that, we, that just kind of comes and goes. It's, this gap is not um, like the bad part of town that you have to drive through just to get to where you live. This gap is where you always are. And yet you know that it's not what you're made for. Because it's so unsafe and it's so unwelcoming that you know that this is not the home that you were made for. Because life in the gap hurts. Life in the gap can inflict wounds. It can feel like Narnia under the reign of the White Witch, right? Always winter and never Christmas. The waiting can be long, and the suffering can be intense, and the lack of resolution that we feel can almost be overwhelming sometimes. And the distance between what we're hoping for and longing for and what we're actually experiencing, the distance between those two things can be so great that we think there's no way God designed the gap to be like this. Something has gone wrong. This gap has got to be a design flaw. But what we see throughout Scripture and what we see in our passage this morning is that the gap is not a design flaw. It is the design itself. This gap is a gap that God has designed to produce His glory and your good in a way that nothing else could have. It's a gap that God has written into your story and that He's written into the story of the whole world to bring about something more beautiful than you can possibly imagine. This gap is not an obstacle that's standing in the way of God accomplishing what he wants to. This gap is the very place where God is accomplishing what he wants to. This gap between promise and fulfillment. This gap between what God has in store for us and where we are right now. Um, The season of Advent every year that we enter into, um, it, it reminds us that we're still waiting. It reminds us that we're in this gap. The season of Advent, it's really meant to stir our longings and to really highlight just how, how in the gap we are. It's meant to remind us that we're still longing, still waiting, still hoping, still expecting. You know, from an early age, you, you learn to associate Christmas with waiting, right? Because You come down into the living room one morning and there's the Christmas presents under the tree, but you're three weeks away from Christmas. And so you have to wait. And so it's like you have the presents, they're right there, but they might as well be a million miles away because you don't have them. (laughs) You both have them and you don't. You're, You're experiencing the already and the not yet. You're experiencing what it's like to live in the gap at seven years old and it just never changes we're always in the gap. Our passage this morning is about life right there. Life right there in the gap. James is writing to Christians who are experiencing the same kinds of tensions and pressures and longings that we experience in the gap. A lot has changed in the last 2,000 years, but, but not much has changed because the people that James is writing to, they know they know waiting and they know suffering, and they know injustice. They know what it's like to feel powerless and not in control when you can't bring about the one thing that you really want and that you really, and that you really need. They know what it's like, just like you and I do, to live in the gap. And so, how, how do we live in the gap? What makes living in the gap and waiting well Not only possible, but absolutely worth it. Let's read and find out. James chapter 5. This is God's Word. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that out of your fullness you would come and give to us and allow us to receive grace upon grace because we come empty. We come weak, needing your strength. We come struggling, needing your hope. We come needing everything that you have to give in this moment. So would you please, kind and gentle Savior, draw near to us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we might draw near to the heart of God as you draw near to us in your word. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. It's possible to read our passage this morning, this passage in James. It's it's possible to read this And come away kind of disheartened, isn't it? Maybe a little beat down. If we we misunderstand it, it's possible to read what we just read and only hear James saying this. You need to be more patient, and you need to stop grumbling with each other, and you need to be like these people who lived long ago. Do this, don't do this, and be more like this. Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. It's possible to read James... Saying that, and if we—if that's all we hear James saying, then let's be honest. Like, there's not a lot of good news in there for us, because if that's all we hear James saying, do this, don't do this, and be more like this, that might produce the kind of change that could last in us until about two o'clock this afternoon. Maybe. I mean, maybe, um, because just being reminded of what we're supposed to be like doesn't make it any more possible for us to actually be like that, does it? Um, telling an impatient person to just be more patient, that might last a little bit in the short run, but it won't produce lasting change, lasting patience. We need more than that, don't we? And thankfully, James is giving us more than that. Yes, he's, he's telling us to be patient. He's telling us how to wait. Um, Obviously, the passage is about patience. He mentions it four times uh, in in our passage. But but James is interested in more than just telling you do this, don't do this, and be more like this. He's interested in what is it that makes this kind of patience possible? What is the foundation on which our patience is built? What is it that makes waiting in the gap not only possible but, but absolutely worth it? Well, here's another way of looking at it. In verse 8, he says, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. That's not fancy New Testament language for get your act together, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, just dig down deep, you can do this. You can do it, right? It's actually the exact opposite. When he says establish your hearts, you can only receive that by admitting that that you're weak and that you don't have the strength, and that you don't have the resources that you need. He's saying, establish your hearts by taking it to the one place and the one person where it can be established. This week, or when this week, is was last week, I took my car in to get the oil changed. What you might have just heard me say is that I changed my oil, but I didn't. I took my car to the place where someone could change my oil. You see the difference there? When James says, establish your hearts, he's saying, this is where you need to take your heart to get it established so that you can wait well in the gap. He's saying, here's how you can wait and be patient in the midst of the gap. Here's how it's possible, and not only possible, but worth it. So two points, and we're going to work with the imagery that we find here in James. Two things that make possible Waiting in the gap. And not only possible, but worth it. Two things. It's remembering what's just below the surface and remembering who's just behind the door. Remembering what's just below the surface and who is just behind the door. We'll take these in turn. So first of all, as we wait and live in the gap, we need to remember what is just below the, just below the surface. Verses 7 and 8. Here in these verses, uh, James uses a sermon illustration that everybody in that original audience would have been able to immediately connect with. It's a farmer who goes out and plants a crop and then waits. You see, a farmer knows what it's like to live in a gap. Maybe you know what this is like, too, to live in the gap between planting and harvesting. The gap between the early rains and the late rains. Back in, 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 in Palestine, there would, be, there would be early rains that would come in, in late autumn. Then there would be um, late rains that would come in early spring. And the farmer had to wait in that gap between those two things for his crop to grow. James is saying, look at the farmer. See, he literally says, see him, watch him, take a play from his playbook. Look at what he does. He plants plants. And he waits. But why does he wait? What is the foundation on which he waits? Let's imagine that you're, you're from the city. You only, you know, you, you get your food from, uh, from the grocery store. You don't know where it comes from, though. You know, meat, vegetables, they grow on the shelf, for all that you know. Um, you're city mouse, and you go out to visit the farmer, country mouse. And let's say that you go out to visit him the day after he planted this field, his crops. You go out and all that you see when you go out to his place is a bare, empty, just plot of dirt. It just looks like purely wasted space, right? It's ugly, it's empty, there's nothing there. But you see the farmer looking at it with a big smile on his face. You ask the farmer and he says, everything is going according to plan. This is great. And you think, no, it's not. This, is, this piece of land is worthless. Like there's nothing here. It's just dirty and dry and wasted. There's, it's empty. There's nothing good that can come out of this. Why does the farmer, though, have a big smile on his face? Why is he waiting? You see, the farmer knows this. The farmer knows what's below the surface. The farmer knows that there's more to this field than meets the eye. He knows that the phrase, what you see is what you get, is, it doesn't apply here. He knows that the story that's being written about this field isn't over yet. It's still being written. What's below the surface and what's invisible and what is not yet is more real to the farmer than what's above the surface and what's visible and what's already there. It's more real to him, and it's more beautiful. In fact, it's precious to him. It means something to him. You notice how James, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. You see, the farmer isn't neutral or indifferent about what's coming, about what's underneath the surface. It's it's precious to him. His heart is wrapped around it. For him, it's the main thing. He can wait because he not only knows what is coming, but he loves what's coming. And if you were to ask the farmer, why are you spending so much time waiting and watching and watering and protecting the fence and pulling weeds out and doing all of this? There's nothing here. The farmer would say what's below the surface is more real and more true and more beautiful than what you can see above the surface. There's so much more here than meets the eye. And then James says, verse 8, you also be patient. You also, just like this farmer, be patient. He says, be patient because here in the gap, there is so much more to it than meets the eye. In the gap that... The gap that is your life right now, yes, but even, even more acutely, it might be this particular season of your life, this particular chapter that's being written. The gap that you're in, it might feel like, and you might experience it just like this bare, empty, this bare, empty field that's empty and cold and there's nothing there. And you look at it and you say, God, I don't know what you could be doing here. It seems empty, and I don't know how you could use this for your glory and for my good. I've got so many more questions than I have answers. The gap is so frustrating, and it's so disappointing, and it's taking way longer than I thought it was going to. Maybe this gap, the gap that you're in, and this particular chapter in the gap, 2020, maybe it just looks and it feels like that empty field that's just sitting there blank and bleak and it's not going anywhere. God is inviting us to look at our lives in the gap. He's inviting us to look at the world around us and to see that there is so much there that's below the surface that you can't see. That what's below the surface, what is it? It's God's compassionate and merciful purposes to bring about more than you can possibly imagine in the midst of the circumstances that you know. To bring about beauty from brokenness and joy from sorrow. To bring about light out of darkness. That is what is always at work below the surface of the gap. Below the surface of your suffering, below the surface of your trials, below the surface of your questions, below the surface of the pain, below the surface of the waiting. It's always just there, God's purposes, to use it, to produce something more true and good and beautiful than you can possibly imagine. That's where James goes in verses 10 and 11. He holds out the prophets these examples, these patterns that he holds out for us. And he says, especially Job. He says, take the life of Job, for instance. Um, you're probably familiar with the, with the story of Job. But remember, Job wasn't familiar with the story of Job. Like, Job didn't have the book of Job, did he? When we suffer and we, when we live in the gap, we at least have the story of someone who lived in the gap that we can go back and, and read. Job didn't have that. Um, all that Job had was his suffering and his questions and his confusion. He didn't know that it was going to be a happy ending. But there was one thing that he had that allowed him to remain steadfast, James says. And to be steadfast, that word, it literally just means to stay. To stay in one place amid the current, amid the pressures. What is it that allowed him to stay? Job had this sneaking suspicion that God was at work. Now, Job protested. He complained. He hurt. But he stayed because he knew that the God that he was dealing with was a God who was full of mercy and compassion. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him, he says. You see, Job knew that there was more to the gap that he was in than meets the eye. That's all he knew. That's literally all he had. But you have more, don't you? You see, James takes us there in verse 11. He says, you have seen how the story ends. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The purposes of the Lord that are below the surface of the gap, always at work, the purposes of the Lord that are compassionate and merciful, always working below the surface of what appears to be pointless and painful and hopeless, the purpose of the Lord always producing, always at work producing what will eventually make the gap completely worth it. How do we we need to, to rub that in this morning, right now? What places of your life, what wounds that life in the gap has inflicted do you need to, to rub this in? <laughs> the idea that God is always at work, most of the time below the surface, producing something true and good and beautiful and that is more real than you can see. What broken relationship do you need to rub that into right now? What what painful circumstance, what trial, what kind of frustration and pain that you don't see the end of? You don't, see, you don't see an end coming. We need to remember what's just below the surface. That's what makes waiting in the gap not only, not only possible, but worth it. What's just below the surface. But secondly, we remember who's just behind the door. We remember who's just behind the door. There's not only something that God is producing in the gap that's below the surface, but there's also someone who's just on the other side of the gap who's coming to close it. And James says it's not only the fact that he's coming, but it's the way that he's going to come that makes waiting in the gap not only possible, but worth it. Watch how he does this. He does this in an interesting way. Look with me at verse 9. Verse um, in verse 9, James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, if you're reading that for the first time, let's be honest, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, um, it's in the middle of a section where James is, you have this beautiful section about James talking about the coming of the Lord and waiting and patience. And then in the middle of it, James just drops the bomb, Don't grumble with each other, lest you be judged. It seems to kind of mess the vibe up a little bit in the passage. And it, at first glance, it just doesn't quite belong, right? I mean, it seems a little bit harsh. What does grumbling and judgment uh, have to do with waiting and patience anyway? Everything. Everything. You see, James, James knows his own heart, and he knows the hearts of the people that he's writing to. He's, he's a pastor. He gets people. He understands his own sinful heart. He knows that life in the gap is hard, that it's difficult, that waiting is difficult. And he knows, he knows that waiting and living in the gap can feel like living in a pressure cooker. And that in the midst of the the pressure that we're feeling, that we're tempted to let the pressure off, to let let steam off and to take the edge off of the pressure somehow. And we can usually do that by taking it out against other people. Um, He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. That word grumble that he uses there, it's it's usually, when, when, when that Greek word is used in the New Testament, it's usually translated as to groan, to groan. And usually that word is mentioned in the context where the writer is talking about waiting and patience. And usually groan in that context is a good thing. For instance, when Paul writes in Romans eight twenty three, he says that it's not just the creation that's groaning, but, it's, it, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. As we, wait eager, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, we groan. 2 Corinthians 5, in this tent, that is, in our earthly bodies, we groan as we long and wait to put on our heavenly bodies. So groaning, in that sense, is a, is a proper response to life in the gap, right? It's the appropriate reply of our souls to, as we engage the not yetness of the gap, we We long and we wait and we groan. But here's what James is saying. He's saying it's all too easy to weaponize that groaning, to weaponize it so that we're no longer groaning for redemption and for restoration, but we're groaning against other people. You see what he's saying? Groaning against other people. And that's what turns into grumbling. Same word. We let off steam, we vent our frustrations, we cut people down, we talk, back, we, we, we talk behind people's backs. In other words, we grumble. In other words, we take judgment into our own hands and we place a premature judgment on people that might not belong there and James says, the judge is standing right on the other side of the door. Not only is it not necessary, but it's not wise. Sometimes the starkest reminder that we have, that we're living in this gap, that we're living in a world that is an unfinished product itself. Sometimes the starkest reminder that we have is the other people that are around us, in our homes, in our businesses, our families, our marriages, our children, our coworkers, because they're unfinished products as well. Sometimes very obviously so, right? <laughs> um, it might just be that person that you're thinking of right now. Someone might be thinking of you right now. It's all too easy, as we live in the gap, to take the edge off, to vent frustration, to vent the pressure by grumbling, by weaponizing the groaning against other people. Um, That's one way that we can deal with the pressure, that we can deal with the waiting. But see, there's another way too. Um, And James doesn't specifically go into this, although it's all over the Bible. we can turn our groaning, or we can take our groaning and our waiting, our longing, and turn it in a direction of lesser things. We can take our groaning and point it in the direction of lesser things. Sometimes God's compassionate and merciful purpose is working themselves out. It just takes too long. It takes too long for his purposes to ripen and to blossom into reality. And so we take our hopes elsewhere. We take our longing to other things, things that don't take too long, and things that we can have some kind of control over, right? Now, obviously, like, you might be thinking of all the bad things. We can take the longings of our hearts to lesser bad things, like abusing alcohol or drugs or pornography or, or lying or, you know, all sorts of different vices that you can think of. But the thing is, it also works in the area of all the good things, too. You can take the edge off of the waiting by taking your heart to, to lesser good things, like your marriage, or wanting to be married, or to your children and the hopes that you have for them, or, or wanting to have children, to this dream that you have of who you're going to be in the future, who you want to be and how your life is going to work out. And those good things can then become ultimate things when they become the thing that we're waiting for. When they become the thing that we're really wanting and that we, we think that's what's below the surface. That's what, when it, when it blossoms into reality, that's when I know that my life is going to have meaning and purpose and then my life will be over. What might that be for you right now? What hope? might be animating your heart that's pointed in the wrong direction? Where might you be taking your groaning that's actually was never meant to be taken there? It's easy to take our hope elsewhere. That's why we need to have established hearts. That's why we need hearts that are established, that can wait, that can sustain the pressure, that can live in the current, And James says, establish your hearts with this, brothers, that everything that you need and that all of the deepest desires of your hearts are all bound up with the arrival of a person and that he's coming. And he's not just coming, but he's close. He's not just close. He is right behind the door. Verse 9, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, why does James call him the judge? Think about this. James had a hundred other words he could have used. He could have said the king is at the door, the Messiah is at the door, the shepherd, the the savior. He, He had so many other words to choose from. Why does he say that the judge is at the door? He could have called him anything else. But James says, here's what people that are living and suffering and waiting in the gap, here's what they need to hear the most. That there's someone coming who can bring justice. That there's someone coming that's good enough to make right what is wrong. To restore what's been damaged and to fix what's broken. Because that's all you know in the gap, isn't it? Is is what's wrong. And you need to know that there's someone coming who has a heart for justice. Who will take it upon himself to right everything that has been wrong. In other words, a judge. And James says that that's who is standing just behind the door. His hand is on the doorknob. That this is what will establish your hearts as you wait and as you suffer. It's the heart of the one who is standing just behind the door. His heart is for justice. But as his heart is full of justice and for justice... It is full of compassion and mercy. Isaiah talked about him long ago. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with what? With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's what establishes our heart as we wait and experience injustice. That's what allows you as God's people to suffer well, to wait, to be wronged, because someone is coming who's going to make it new. Someone is coming who will make all sad things come untrue, because his heart Bleeds for justice and mercy. And as we close, we have to remember not only that there is so much below the surface of what we can see, that's why we can wait, and that there is someone who is just behind the door, but we remember that it's the heart of God that is full of justice and mercy. It was His heart that made him plunge into this gap in the first place. You see, he's not just standing on the other side of the gap with his hand on the doorknob. He is deeply familiar with the pain and the waiting and the suffering inside the gap because it was his heart for justice and mercy that made him plunge into the gap himself. Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to wait. He knows what it's like to suffer in the gap. More than you can possibly imagine. Because you see, his heart for justice and for mercy drove him to stand in the very worst gap imaginable. The cross was the greatest gap of all. The gap where Jesus the judge was judged in our place where Jesus stood in that infinite distance between God and our sin. And he stood there himself, plunging himself into the darkness, taking the wrath that we deserve. He stood in that gap with a smile on his face for us, for the joy that was set before him, like a farmer knowing what's coming. And as he stood in that gap, his disciples all ran away because they thought, this can't be the design. This has got to be a design flaw. And the whole world would look at the cross where a dying Jew hangs and bleeds outside of Jerusalem and would say, there's no way that God designed it to be like this. But it was the very design itself, from the very beginning, to bring about something more beautiful and more true and real than you can possibly imagine. And because Jesus has stood in that gap for you, you can continue to wait in the gap for him. Establish your hearts, brothers and sisters, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, come and do that, we pray. Establish our hearts by giving us eyes to see you. We pray that in our weakness and in the ways that we might be tempted to give up hope in the gap, that we would not only see you coming to close the gap, but that we would know your presence in the gap as you walk with us. We pray that you would accomplish through the gap that you have us in right now something more true and beautiful and good than we can possibly imagine and give us the encouragement along the way that that is exactly what you are doing as we look and wait for you. In your name we pray. Amen.